So I appreciate you tuning in to join us this morning. Uh, this week is inherently different. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we meet at uh, college campus weekly, and we were informed this week that the college campus has shut down their buildings. And so as a result, our service was canceled, and we decided that it's an opportunity for us to innovate a little bit. And uh, so we're going to continue uh, with the message and the theme that we've planned as a preaching and teaching team, and uh, we're going to just deliver it in a different and unique way. And so uh, to give you a little bit of a background on what it is that we've been talking about we're going uh, through a series called on second thought and uh, this week's message title is I am content on second thought I am content and so as we continue in this series it's a series uh, in first Corinthians from chapter 7 right up to the beginning of chapter 11 and uh, what we see prior to that is the Apostle Paul who's the author of Corinthians has uh, has written this letter and the church in Corinth has responded uh, to that letter and so first Corinthians is actually his response and chapter 7 is where he starts responding specifically to some of the questions they've asked and so we're kind of picking up uh, what it is that we've been studying in chapter 7 beginning at verse 12 and going on through verse 16 uh, uh, this morning. And so, uh, Eric, if you can go ahead and read that for us, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, happy to. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Let's open up in a, in a word of prayer, uh, just so we can center our hearts and minds, regardless of where we are this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful that you aren't uh, limited by the constraints of being physically present, uh, yes. but that yes. you are omnipresent. And so we're thankful that uh, you are with all of the people that are uh, watching this uh, broadcast or listening via podcast. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, your presence would remain with us, that we would have an encounter with the living God for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, I don't think I mentioned it uh, prior, but I'm uh, the lead pastor. Me and my wife, Meredith, are the lead pastors at Centerway. Uh, this is Eric Hamlin and Karen Hart. They're both members of the lead team here and uh, also part of the preaching and teaching team. Uh, Tara Dolan is also part of the preaching and teaching team, not joining us uh, this morning. Um, we're going to continue on as we sort of navigate through 1 Corinthians uh, 7, uh, 12 through 16. I'm kind of mindful of a story as I think about about uh, contentedness and this idea of trying to seek out peace. Um, I've done quite a bit of hiking with Eric, and uh, Karen has said that she's going to come with us, and yet she has never appeared. So There's I, more to that story. Yeah, she won't come with us in the end. Um, no, we are all microphones, so we'll just continue with the lie. Um, we've, uh, we've done quite a bit of hiking up in the high peaks and uh, have enjoyed a lot of uh, 
funny stories and different situations where um, I guess a lot of different stories could be told. But uh, sure. one of the things that I think about when I think of the Adirondacks is this sense of peace. When you get to the top of a high peak, when you're at that summit, and there's just almost this deafening silence, yeah. and you can see birds flying at your eye sight level, and you just realize that um, you're so small and you're a part of such a, a huge world. And um, there was a time where we talked about how fun it would be to uh, hike in to a spot and spend the night, right? Yeah. And uh, with, for Eric's 40th birthday, because he is an old, old man. <laughs> yes. At least true. twice the age of Karen. Um, <laughs> That's right. We, uh, Gosh, I'm finally telling the truth here. Yeah. <laughs> We said, wouldn't it be cool to just like sleep under the stars, like hike in, sleep under the stars and just like the peace of that. And so it was a brilliant idea uh, until we hiked in and we set up that um, that tent and it was freezing cold. It was in June. It was so we thought it'd be warm, but it was not. <laughs> we knew that we should have uh, sleeping bags. I actually wanted a lightweight sleeping bag, so I borrowed one from Karen. Karen said, I have a sleeping bag, you can borrow it. I laid it out right in my apartment, laid down on it, it was long enough because it belongs to her daughter, and I thought, oh, is it gonna be uh, too short? It wasn't, it was long enough. I did not check, however, <laughs> the width of it. And lo and behold, a 16-year-old girl <laughs> tends to be a little more narrow than Claude. And so I, uh, we get into this, we get into this tent and we're like, oh, this is so great, you know. Um, we're gonna sleep under the stars, pull this uh, sleeping bag up and it literally <clears throat> makes it to here. I can't get it past my shoulders. <laughs> and so for the whole night, my arms are hanging out. I'm freezing cold, the ground is rock hard. The last time I slept in a tent, I was way younger and it felt way different. Um, and so I'm sitting there saying, this is not peaceful. This is not enjoyable, this is not fun. Um, we wake up super early in the morning, terrible night's sleep and uh, we were just thinking about the hike ahead of us we're gonna do five high peaks in one day yeah and uh, I get injured a little bit in the midst of that hike a little bit and uh, <laughs> that's a very uh, understated statement but I get to, the, to peak number four we're coming out of the break of the woods uh, just as we get to the summit and we come around we're huffing and puffing I'm in pain and we're just we're gonna we're gonna do it no matter what we get up there and there is a woman who uh, correct me if I'm wrong. She was 290 years old. Around there. Around yeah. that. <laughs> she was super old. And she's up there and she's like, oh, it's so peaceful. And we're like, <laughs> I had like salt crust on my head and sleeves, everything. And, uh, and for one of um, the very few times we made it to a summit, I'm at the summit looking around saying, there's nothing peaceful about this. There's absolutely nothing peaceful about this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I share that story and these little glimpses of this pursuit of peace because I think peace is forever elusive. It's something that we all chase after. It's something that we all desire. We define it as this, and then when we get it, it's not as peaceful as we thought. Um, we get to that moment, someone else is declaring peace, and we're horrified. And so it seems like something we can't really get our hands on. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, wherever you may be uh, as you're in interfacing with this, is why is it so hard to define peace? Why is it so hard to define peace. And so I guess I asked that question of you guys this morning. Why is it so hard to define peace? Hmm. I kind of think in society there's so much conversation about things being relative. And um, peace, 
can be perceived as relative. You know, you think about it, and I think what peace means to me. For me, you know, it might think peace is an ocean, or like you just explained, you thought there'd be peace on top of this mountaintop. But in reality, that might be completely different for each and every person. Yeah, it's so true. You know, that's like the fallen human condition uh, that we're all in this pursuit of peace, and we're all trying to find the source of peace. But not only can we not agree on where the source is, but we're also pursuing it on these different journeys and we just can't seem to find it on our own. Yeah, that's the tension, right? Mm -hmm. Is uh, it's, it's one thing to say, Peace is defined by the eye of the beholder or circumstance or situation. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really the tension, right? Mm -hmm. the, the tension is that um, we're trying to define what peace is based on our circumstances and our leaning. And so uh, as we, as we kind of consider that reality in the back of our minds, because regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, whether you're close to Christ or far from the Lord or watching this because you're over at someone's house and somebody else turned it on and you're like, why are those three people sitting on a couch? This is the dumbest thing I've ever watched. Um, regardless of where you're at on that journey, as a human being, you're in pursuit of some form of peace and you're living in the tension of that pursuit. And so I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we kind of look at the text this morning, as we unpack the scripture. And uh, before we do that, I want to share a little bit of the context. I'd like us all to kind of weigh in on the context that this scripture was written in, uh, where the Apostle Paul, uh, who planted the church in Corinth, is writing this letter. What is Corinth like? Yeah, I'll jump in. Uh, Corinth was a very, very cosmopolitan city. In, in fact, we could probably say it was the literal crossroads of the Greco-Roman world. Um, ports um, to all points uh, around the globe. Uh, and so in a very real sense, um, there were conversations from people all over the world about this idea of, I've found peace in this way. I found peace in that way. Uh, and I've been all around the world and I know what the source of peace is. And so there were conversations that had influences from every culture, essentially, uh, across the globe. And it's that, that pressure of the, that the city had as a whole, you could see it starting to seep into the Church of Corinth. Um, you know, the, the church was taking words, started taking words out of context. Paul had addressed in the past about having sex with prostitutes and how that would defile them. And what the Church of Corinth started to do is thinking, well, if I I am married to an unbelieving spouse, then I need to get divorced, right? Because that's going to defile, defile me as well. Absolutely. The whole tension of uh, taking something that Paul said out of context and sort of mirroring it into the culture of Corinth. In fact, uh, something else that's sort of at play here is uh, Plutarch, who was a, a philosopher in the time, uh, actually talks about uh, relationships and he talks about wives specifically and he says, uh, wives, your friends will now be your husband's friends. And so he kind of speaks to a sexist culture saying, listen, uh, females, you will be defined by the relationships of your husbands. And so one of the things uh, that he actually kind of lays out unapologetically is the most important friendship, in fact, that your husband has is with his gods. And so therefore, wife, surrender your gods, surrender who it is that you worship, and fall underneath uh, 
your husband's God and worship them only. And so now you have that kind of situation taking place in the church in Corinth where they're, yes, saying like, wait a second, is my unbelieving spouse actually defiling the body of Christ, to, to speak to what Karen said? And there's also this uh, huge cultural lane of predominantly uh, sexist community mm-hmm. saying, listen, the man is in charge and his God is going to define the God of the household. And so now we have a woman who maybe comes to faith in Christ in the church in Corinth and is now confronted with the reality that, wait a second, second, do I have to surrender my relationship with Christ to fall into the cultural societal tensions? And as a result, is being a Christian really about divorcing my unbelieving husband so that I can keep this faith in Christ or vice versa. Uh, if a husband is now in relationship with Christ, does that now somehow trump this God that he's imposed on his family in the past? And so one more time, we look at um, this reality that it's easy to assume that the best way to be spiritual, the best way to keep the peace in a marital relationship is to uh, simply separate. Uh, to just call it quits on the marriage and go our own way and pursue our own spiritual higher plane. Uh, but that's not the case, is it? No, it wasn't the mm-hmm. case. And it, it is really, it's amazing when you look at the scripture. If we look at uh, verses 12 and 13, and it starts out, verse 12 starts out, to the rest I say, I not the Lord. Now, right there, some people start to think that Paul is making a lesser argument or a lesser call, but it's not. Um, even though Christ never addressed this, it is directed by Paul um, through his, apost- his apostolic authority, letting mm-hmm. them know that this is completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Paul then goes on to say um, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should never divorce her. If any woman has a husband who who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, then she should not divorce him. Now, Paul could have addressed this to males to the males only, which would have been completely okay in this society, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. He addresses mm-hmm. both male and female equally. Um, Paul is making it clear that the covenant of marriage is critical. Mm-hmm. And what I think is so what I can get so passionate about is like the why. It's because of the potential. Staying together leads to peace and harmony of the household in hopes of the redemption of it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a beautiful picture of him kind of correcting a societal perception and and sort of um, this muddying of the water. And he goes on in verse 14, um, he talks about something that's a, that could be a little bit confusing. He says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. Hmm. And then he goes on and says, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And so there's this idea of like, wait a second, (laughs) by being a Christ follower, am I literally making my wife holy? Is that what... Uh, that, that Paul is saying, is that what scripture says, is that literally in proximity to me, her salvation is one because of my relationship with Christ. And um, that's not the case at all. In fact, what Paul is saying is there is that potential that uh, that you kind of started to lean into is this idea of this redemption uh, potential that if you are present in the marriage, if you are the salt and the light, if you are as a Christ follower, holy present in this relationship, there is a potential for redemption. If you remove yourself from it, you remove yourself from the potential of making them holy. And so all of this uh, in the end is this kind of amazing picture of a larger process that God is at work in the midst of marriages where unbelieving people 
get married and one of them crosses the line of faith and now there's this tension and Paul's saying lean into that tension uh, which is just incredible because there's a redemptive potential in the midst of it and God is going to use that for his glory uh, to contribute to this sense of harmony so that people can look the husband can look and the wife can look and say wait a second they're not just tolerating me they're actually different and as a result of their grace and their mercy, maybe there's something about this God that they serve. There's something of harmony that, that's, right. that's yeah. present in that relationship. I like that word, harmony. Uh, we actually talk about that a little bit in the devotional this week, right? Yeah. That uh, the Greeks use the word for peace that has little to do uh, with the circumstances that they find themselves in. Uh, that word in the Greek um, can be literally translated oneness or completeness or wholeness. Um, and I love that because then um, you have this beautiful imagery like uh, Claude just mentioned about the harmony that we have one sound. You just hear one sound in harmony, but it's comprised of all of these different notes, um, this group of notes that sound singular together. And I think really that's what verse 15 is all about. Mm. Uh, the, the point that Paul is making in that verse is that peace may not be as relative as we think, uh, but right. its source is found actually in the presence of God. That's right. Yeah. And so then the application goes beyond married people, right? Yeah. Because it's real easy to look yeah. at the text and say, oh, this is about uh, a believer being married to an unbeliever. And that's really all we can get from the text. But there's so much more. Yeah. Beneath it is this idea, this application of, uh, of harmony and the capacity for us to be influencers and peacemakers in every environment that God places us in. And... Uh, when we think about this idea of peacemakers and influence, I'm reminded of an experience that I had as a child. Uh, the pastor's wife was kind of the uh, children's worker in the church that I grew up in, and she kind of had this um, example of us being the light of the of the world. And so there was this box in the middle of the room, and we didn't know what was uh, in it or under it or anything like that. And uh, it was kind of this message that if you're in Christian circles at all, you've heard at some point this idea of letting your light shine. Mm -hmm. And uh, she goes and shuts the light classroom lights off and she gets this box and she lifts it up and for the first time what's revealed is um, a small lamp and a light that's lit and as she lifts it this light peers out and it just washes away the darkness and she says um, we have the ability to be the light that no matter how dark the darkness gets when light is introduced to it it turns that room from darkness into light that's kind of where her illustration ended and it was a pretty cool one but I um, I went a little bit further kind of in my mind, I guess, because I was like an ADD kid or something, but <laughs> I, it's got me thinking like, wait a second, what if the lights were turned on and the box was dark? does darkness have the same impact on light? And now I was pretty young and it was more of a curious type thing. Uh, and so at my house, I actually went in, turned the lights on, got a box that I knew was empty and dark, opened it up and the light flooded in. And for the first time in my life, there was like this illustration that came to life in a unique way where I realized, wait a second, even when the box is filled with darkness, when exposed to light, the light dominates darkness. That's good. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's this, this imagery that kind of takes this text and bring it, brings it to another level for me because I think all too often Christians function in fear. We're kind of told like, listen, don't hang out with the wrong crowd. They're going to influence That's you. Right. They're going to bring you to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Save your kids, you know. And, uh, and I think there's some wisdom, for sure. There's yeah. wisdom that needs to be used as far as what circles you're in right. and what it is that you expose yourself to. 
But I think that when we really take on um, the reality of the presence of God in and through our lives, we have the capacity to be influencers in every environment we go into, that Christ resides within us. And so therefore, every marriage should be um, completely transformed by the truth of the gospel that's alive in us. Every friendship that we engage in should be uh, completely transformed because of the truth of the gospel in us. We should be peacemakers. We should be the light. We should be the salt. We should be influencers in every circumstance. And so really, our lives become uh, the testimony of Christ alive in us. Without this idea of Jesus being present in our lives, it could be, um, I guess, kind of easy to come to a place to say, so our responsibility, if we have the tag of Christian, is to be peacemakers. So go and make peace. <laughs> you can do it. You know, walk into every fight and be like, no, no, everybody calm down. We're all friends here. You know, and then watch how you get beat up too. Uh, you know, try as hard as you can uh, to be more of a peacemaker and less of a uh, frustrator or however you want to put that. Uh, but ultimately all those things fall short because at our core, right. we're still searching for a, a sense of peace that is external. True. And right. so peace really i want to submit to everyone listening and even to ourselves that it's not this external relative state but in fact peace is a person peace is a person that can reside within us not because we somehow uh, do enough right or do enough good but because jesus christ came and lived this perfect life he the prince of peace walks the earth and follows all the rules and in the end lays down his life and is without peace so that we can be with peace. And so Jesus lives this life that we couldn't live and he gives us uh, the reward of peace because of who he is. Mm -hmm. And so we get to walk in the fullness of that. And so the Prince of Peace is someone that is alive in and through us and as a result transforms every relationship right. that we encounter, um, whether it's marital, friendship, brother, sister, you name it, we have the ability and the authority to be influencers. And so I, I kind of want um, on the heels of that to consider what the application is for us mm -hmm. this morning. Um, as we've kind of gone on this journey and this idea that in fact, uh, peace is something we all pursue and it's something that's not actually relative, um, but it's very defined in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. then what does that require of us? The application question that I'd love for us to consider is um, how can I be a blessing to someone this week? If we are in fact peacemakers, if we have the ability to be influencers, then how can we be a blessing to someone this week? Uh, Karen, can you take a moment and maybe uh, connect the dots for some of the kids that may be listening yeah. and maybe some of the parents that want to relay some of this content sure. to the kids. Sure. No, I think it's it's so, it's amazing. Um, some of the kids that are out there don't know who Jesus is, you know, and they're just thinking this peace, you know, where do I find peace? Maybe if I act better, maybe if I do better, maybe my grades are better, maybe if I do this better. But it's mm -hmm. this exhausting state, even for kids. Our kids are faced with so many stressors where maybe for them today what they need to do is make Jesus the Lord and leader over their life. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah. that would be for that child. You know, maybe you have a child that's facing some of those circumstances. Just if they 
give their life to Christ and you know obviously come and be with a body of believers and um, be encouraged and lift up um, then there's some of some of the kids that will call marginal um, that they attend they know Jesus I know Jesus um, but I want to challenge them as well to take it one step further you know maybe they're in the house what does it look like to be a peacemaker for Jesus in uh, in different parts of your relationships like maybe with your parents maybe your home and it's disruption and there's not quite peace because we're deciding to be a little um, defiant or we're having some struggles or maybe it's even with a friend um, maybe that next step the application would be asking for forgiveness um, yeah. and going in and making peace and saying you know maybe I'm wrong or what part can I play um, and then there's some of you that are like hey I've been a Christ follower for all my life you know all 12 years three years <laughs> of it um, but they're like I got this um, but I want to challenge you too that as an be an active peacemaker what does it look to live your life on mission and um, that's a big statement too which I'd love to talk to you more about but partly that means what do you what can you do to just be doing it in every situation that you encounter maybe it's that kid that's sitting alone um, that looks different uh, across the, that's sitting at a table and maybe it's just getting up and making that move mm-hmm. um, maybe it's being willing to be last uh, in line as you know other people are arguing with there's just subtle little different things that you can do continu- to continually live on mission um, allowing being an influencer for Christ in ev- in every situation. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Eric, um, what are your thoughts as far as uh, carrying the application uh, to not only um, teenagers, uh, but singles, married couples, people that are far from Christ, people that are um, in relationship with Christ? How do they put handles on this? Yeah, great question. I think anybody, you know, where, no matter where they find themselves, can um, fall victim to that lie that peace is circumstantial. Uh, you know, maybe you have you're watching this and you're searching for peace. You think, well, I can't have peace because um, you know I don't like where I work, or um, you know, I just uh, I'm not with the right person, and things just aren't going my way, and. Um, Maybe you've been searching for peace somewhere else in a circumstance, and today you realize that there is a source to peace, mm-hmm. uh, and that is the presence of God, being in proximity to the Prince of Peace, uh, Jesus. And today would be the day that you could just say, yes, welcome Jesus into your life, and just invite him in uh, to be that Lord and leader of your life, uh, to say, I know that peace goes beyond my circumstances. Uh, and peace is a person and I want to invite that person into my life or you know maybe you've already found the Prince of Peace um, and you would consider yourself a Christian um, but you're not a peacemaker Uh, you say uh, well you know I believe in Jesus I made him the Lord and leader of my life but um, I've just let the busyness of life kind of keep me from the presence of God Um, I guess I would ask how is your proximity to Jesus Uh, what are you doing to make sure the busyness of life uh, isn't keeping you from um, engaging the Prince of Peace Uh, maybe you're married maybe you're struggling uh, with the idea that peace can be found in the midst of a difficult marriage or uh, in a difficult relationship if you're not married and you seem to argue more times than you're in agreement Um, you just wonder how peace can be found in a situation like that and I would encourage you um, to remember what the words uh, of uh, James says in the New Testament he says if you draw near to God God will draw near to you Uh, it's not a idea of if you clean up your act and then come maybe God will will draw near to you it's that you just say God I need you draw near to him and he will draw near to you that whole 
wholeness and that oneness that uh, the word peace talks about can be found in God's presence. And no matter where you find yourself today, it's available to you in this moment. That's right. I don't know what application looks like for you, but I do know that anytime we open up the Word of God, it requires something from us, requires something from all of us. And so I just encourage you this morning, whether you're watching this or listening to it by podcast, uh, to take a moment and to ask the Lord uh, to reveal to you what it is that's required of you, whether that means crossing the line of faith this morning. Uh, if you've never come into relationship with Jesus Christ and you would like to make that decision, it's as simple as praying a prayer. And so in the quietness of wherever you are right now, you can simply declare yourself a sinner and acknowledge the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sins. Ask him to come and be the Lord and leader of your life and to forgive you. And uh, the relationship begins that easily. And so I would encourage you if you decide to pray that prayer that you'd reach out to us, rather, uh, whether it be in person on a Sunday morning uh, in one of our gatherings, or if you want to send us an email and let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'd love to tell you what the next steps are as we walk alongside you in that journey. Um, whether that's your application this morning, or if it's something that uh, Eric or Karen has mentioned, uh, or if it's even something beyond that, if you're right in line with the text this morning and you're married uh, to an unbelieving spouse and you're just weary and you're wondering, uh, what does that look like? What does God require of me? Uh, I just want to encourage you that the Lord is using you as a light and uh, there's a redemptive potential in every relationship, in every circumstance. And so whether you're a friend, a coworker, whatever it might look like, um, God has a plan for you and has a, a redemptive application of this word in and through your life. And so just take a moment to ask the Lord to reveal that and then uh, take some action on it. All too often we come and we hear and uh, we don't often do what it is that the text is requiring of us or what the Lord may be whispering to us. And so I just encourage you to take action on something uh, to maybe decide in a very literal way to be a blessing hmm. to someone this week. I also want to let you know of some other ways that uh, you can respond to this word. Um, one of them being something that Eric mentioned uh, throughout this talk, and that's the devotions. You can sign up for our devotions. They come out on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday right into your email box, and uh, it will take you deeper into what we talked about, and that's available every week. If you sign up for that, um, you'll get them weekly corresponding with each message. Um, but beyond that, we also want to encourage you to respond in even a deeper way, and you're going to hear more about that in just a moment. Hi, Sunnery Church. My name is Meredith, and this is Adam, and we're both part of the lead team here. Um, if you've never been with us on a Sunday before, at this point in our gathering, we would take time to worship and respond in several ways. One of those ways is to worship through giving, which you can still do online if you'd like. Um, another way is that we would create space to reflect, maybe to journal, um, and certainly time to pray together, which we'd encourage you to do. And another thing that we love to do at Centerway is to respond through song. Typically in our gathering, we would sing about three songs of worship in response to the word that we just heard. Yeah, this week's set list included Forever Rain, Good Good Father, and Tremble. And Tremble is actually a new song we were gonna introduce this week, but you can find out more about the song in our weekly devotional that gets emailed. Also in the devotional is a link to our Spotify playlist for the On Second Thought series, where all of the songs for the series are located. And you can check those out throughout the weeks to come. Yeah. One last thing for parents. Um, as you know, your kids every week are hearing a kid-friendly version of the message that's being shared in the adult gathering. And this week, of course, we can't hand you uh, these cards, um, but in the meantime, you can print and download them. Either way, we want to encourage you to talk about these application questions with your kids now or throughout the week. 
Um, but for all of us, we really want to encourage you to take an opportunity on this snowy Sunday to respond to the text and take some time to worship right now. We really miss you and we can't wait to be with you next week.